1: Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by protranscript.com and tennistours.com, where you can receive a discount off of professional tennis event tickets by using the promotional code ESSENTIAL, with a capital E. Well, before we get started with today's show, I want to let you guys know that there are still a couple spots open for the Essential Tennis Clinic in Baltimore, Maryland, this coming May 28th, 29th, and 30th. If you're interested in attending, please let me know. Just shoot me a quick email to ian at essentialtennis.com. Let's go ahead and get to today's show. We're not going to waste any more time. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest today on the Essential Tennis Podcast is Raj Gavril,a who's a professional speaker, author, and coach, and he's going to be talking to us about a special topic today having to do with mental tennis, but a little bit different angle than what we have covered before on the Essential Tennis Podcast. But Raj, I first want to introduce you and say hi. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Yeah,
1: you bet. I'm happy to have you on, and, and you and I first talked several months ago. I remember we had a phone conversation and uh and we talked for for quite a while uh I think about uh, different tennis topics why don't you uh please take a, a minute or two and tell my audience a little bit about yourself your your background and how you're involved with tennis
0: well i played tennis all through high school and i wasn't very good however i started getting better and today i'm a very good player uh, of course i'm not uh on a pro level by any means And I got into professional speaking, and mostly what I do is I help organizations increase their productivity and profitability by improving their mindset, mood, and motivation. And I work most exclusively with sports teams. Okay. So this podcast will focus more on the tennis team itself and going from what I call a fixed mindset to a grow mindset and using mindset, mood, motivation tools.
1: Okay, great. Well, David Grumping, who's been the other kind of main mental tennis guest that I've had, kind of comes at it from a similar angle that that you do. He also works with with business people and and likes to work with athletes as well. But the difference is, uh, go ahead. Sorry, Raj. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought you, I thought you were trying to say something. It um, uh, sounds like the difference between you and him is that you specialize with uh, with teams, and I find that really interesting because most tennis players at some point are going to participate in some kind of. Uh, tennis team competition or, or activity, which which is great. And I really recommend that my listeners go out and do that, whether it be a high school team or uh, if you're lucky enough, a, a college team or a, a club team, USTA uh, league team, uh, all really great experiences. But it kind of brings uh, a unique mental challenge to the table for, for a lot of us. And, and I know that you have a little outline here that we're going to follow, uh, kind of four main points. Why don't you go ahead and, and give us a little intro and, and get started on our first point, Raj?
0: Sure. Yeah, yes, you you really, really honed in on it. Being on a team really brings a lot of different dynamics. And tennis itself, although a lot of times it's seen as an individual sport, uh, in doubles, of course, there's a, there's a team and then Again, as you mentioned, USTA, even Davis Cup, the team aspects. And even if you are a singles player, you have a team in the sense that you're working with a coach. And as high or higher you get, you'll probably have a mental motivation expert. You'll have other people that are part of your team. In fact, uh, Roger Federer, a lot of times when he wins, he credits his team because it's not just him doing it, although he is Hmm. the star attraction. Right. But uh, today what I'm going to talk about is going from having a fixed mindset to a grow mindset. And the way that we're going to do it is through Mindset, Mood, Motivation Tools. And Dr. Carol Dreck wrote a book called Mindset. She's a Stanford University researcher, professor, and psychologist. And she talks about, in her book, going from a fixed mindset to a grow mindset. And so I'm going to talk about how to go from a fixed mindset, give some examples, to a grow mindset using what I call an adaptability link. And the first adaptability link that we will use will be to use logical emotion. Okay. Shall we start from there?
1: Yeah, sure. Sounds good.
0: Well, to use logical emotion, notice I put logic before emotion. And I do that for a reason, because... We know and through research that emotion comes before logic. However, we know that one without the other is very short-sighted. If we have just emotion, then we don't have any thinking. There's no... There, there's only uh, a certain emotion, a certain ingredient. But it has no purpose. But if we have logic and not emotion, well, we have a, a plan but we don't have any action. We don't have the emotion part to get any type of real actionable purpose. Hmm. So I put both of them together because you can probably well relate. If you've ever talked with your spouse or your tennis partner and there's been some kind of conflict, well, if you use just emotion, that conflict can really get you in trouble. Or if you use just logic, it's short-sighted because <laughs> we know that a thought has emotion into it, and that emotion creates that action.
1: Isn't it? So
0: uh, Logical emotion is very important.
1: Isn't it funny how, how similar those two relationships are—the <laughs> uh, you know, hu- husband and wife and and doubles uh, doubles team. I've definitely compared those two before, but I, I think it's funny that you come at it from that direction, from a, kind of a communication standpoint, and, and having to put the two. Uh, The logical and the emotional side together—that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, it 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 really is, and and to give you the first example, on a tennis team, the bottom line is to win a championship. And so, if that's the bottom line, now that that might be too much pressure for some people. So, what's the top line? Well, the top line is to make a positive difference or to grow. And if you're doing that, then obviously the championships will come. But a lot of people use either logic or they use emotion and not logical emotion because I go and talk with teams, and let's say that they're winless. Well, I go in there telling them, guess what? You're going to win a championship. <laughs> and they look almost dumbfounded, like, you this guy. We're, we're winless. And, and there's a reason I do that is because you deserve just as well much as anybody else to win a championship, now, it's just not going to happen magically because obviously they'll come up with excuses saying that, well, we're not that talented or we don't have the skills or, or you know, last year this team had just these awesome players and they're going to be there again in the playoffs and I don't know what we're going to do. And, and I understand that those are all challenges, but the way you remove obstacles is through logical emotion and by using the tools to get there. And so, I'm going to define first what mindset is. Mindset is simply what we think and the way we think. So, obviously, right there, we know that we need to work on their mindset a little bit. Our mood is the bottom line. The bottom line in any kind of team sport is to win a championship. And then, our top line is motivation and inspiration. There's only two things I left out, and that is attitude and subconscious. So let's start about, let's start with what uh, David Grumping had uh, talked about earlier, and that's self talk.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: there's a lot said to be self talk with self talk. It's just that with self talk, I think there's confusion between self talk and what I call self think. And self talk is what, to me, is verbalized whether it's to yourself or to someone else, but it's verbalized. And usually it's verbalized to yourself. Sometimes people do talk to things just trying to get them psyched up. (laughs) Right. However, self-think is actually what are we thinking during the match? Because that's really ultimately what is the critical component to make us win, is what we're thinking. And if we think our match through and our games through, you know what I find is that people enjoy their sport so
1: much more. Do you uh, do, so, do you do you find a correlation between how positive or negative a player or a team's self think is, and and how successful they are on the courts?
0: Oh, uh, definitely. I think that what happens is that their self think is really their foundation, hmm. and if they're not continually adding to that foundation and growing through an adaptability link, and the adaptability link here is logical emotion, which is going to get us from a fixed mindset to saying that, okay, I'm only so talented, I'm only so skilled, well, now we want to go to a growth mindset through this adaptability link called logical emotion.
1: So can you give us, a, I guess, a, a tangible or you know, a, I guess, a, a method that that our listeners can kind of go through to make that connection from from saying, you know, I've got this much talent, I've got this much skill, I can only win this many matches this season. How do we actually work on making that connection from from that fixed mindset to a, to a more grow mindset? Well,
0: one is through using the adaptability link and in this case, one mindset tool is logical emotion. Let me give you some examples. Yeah, please. For example, Bjorn Borg. He was a great self-thinker. And granted, self-thinking is much more important and critical than self-talk. However, you never really saw him use much self-talk. However, he's arguably one of the best players uh, ever. Mm -hmm. However, now time has progressed, and During the Borg era, there Jimmy Connors. Well, Jimmy Connors, (laughs) and obviously Jimmy Connors had great self-think, but he was a better self-talker. Because you knew when he had Yvonne Lendl in the U.S. Open Finals year after year that eventually he was going to get pumped up, fired up, start pumping his fist, start talking to himself, to the crowd. And once he did that, he got into a zone that hardly many players ever really get to. And Linda lost year after year. And then, of course, we have John Mackenor. John Mackenor, again, is a great self-thinker, and he's a great self-talker, but he used more self-talk than he did self-think. However, you can see that he did have greatness in self-thinking because, as a commentator, he is excellent. And he really shows the subtleties of the game and how he really did think the game through. However, he used self-talk, the emotion side, and linked both of those together. Now, sometimes he got in trouble because he'd abuse the umpires and things of that nature. In fact, Dr. Carol Dwork uses an example of him as being someone who is extremely successful in a fixed mindset. And you can still be extremely successful, but even John McEnroe today says, that if he didn't do some of the things that he did, he would have been even more successful. And that would have been really quite amazing to see. Yeah. And then uh, I'll give you another example. Uh, Of course, we have Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras, again, great self-thinker, but did not really do much self-talk. But did you notice, though, towards the latter part of his career, he started to. And even the commentators, they started to see that hey, something's being done here. And see, they're consistently adding skills and talents and growing their skills and talents so that they can continue to go to another new best level because they want to grow. They want to raise their game. And Pete Sampras definitely did that because arguably, again, one of the greatest ever. He had the most Wimbledon or the most Grand Slams until Roger Federer came along. And that didn't happen until years later. And, of course, you know, Pete sometimes would throw up and uh, win a match, and you knew he was going to win if he threw up, but I don't really highly recommend that. <laughs> and then, uh, lastly, of course, the par excellence today, Roger Federer. Uh, you can see that he's a great, great self thinker. However, you're starting to see slowly and slowly that he's using self talk to get himself to use this adaptability link, logical emotion. Then, on the women's side, it's Serena Williams. That uh, was the biggest tip from Tony Robbins, who's one of the top motivation inspirational speakers that she hired. He told her, you know, use emotion. You have a great self-thinking concept, but your, your, your logic is there. Your emotion is missing. And, you know, some players, they use one more than the other, but when you can find that nice congruent balance is when you'll get the best results.
1: All right. So I, I got two, two questions for you, Raj. Uh, first, first of all, so, so how exactly do you go about developing this within an individual or, or an entire team uh, just in general? And then my, my second question is for, for those of us who maybe already have plenty of self-think and self-talk going on, but maybe it's not constructive. Maybe we're, we're, we have negative mindsets and what we're doing in our, in our heads is not helping out very much. How do you train somebody to uh, be more constructive with, with their self-think and talk?
0: Well, one way is, again, through an adaptability link to, let's say, another profession. For example, I'm also a professional speaker. And if you notice that the words I use especially when I'm professionally speaking versus doing a radio interview or a podcast interview are a little bit different. And in professional speaking, you want to have the most dynamic, most powerful, meaningful, purposeful sentence, but you want to do it in the fewest amount of words. Hmm. And the fewer words you can use and the better the word choice, the better the speech. And the same thing applies to tennis. You want to unclutter... All of that chatter that's going on in your mind, you want to quiet it down, quiet the mind. And then at the right moments, you want to be able to activate it, whether it's through self-think, which is going to create those synapses in your mind that's going to cause an action, thought becomes an action, which becomes a result. And then self-talk, it's the same thing except for it's verbalized. And it's very important uh, with both of these, uh, it's critical to have self think and self talk put together, because again, one without the other can be very dangerous and can really uh, hinder your progress.
1: Can you give an example of uh, of why that's dangerous exactly? Uh, of why we don't want to use just just one or the other? What if uh, like Myself, personally, I'm a very, uh, people find this uh, surprising, but I'm a very introverted person. I'm kind of quiet by nature. So it, what's wrong with me going out and playing and using mostly or all self-think? Well, what's the danger in that?
0: Well, what's the danger in that is that is that you're not giving your body the ability to express itself. Hmm. And... As an engineer, because that's what I was before I became a professional speaker and sports team mindset, mood, motivation coach, and I I was somewhat introverted. However, I wasn't as introverted as most engineers, and I wanted to grow, and I think that was one of the reasons I reached out to this profession, is because I wasn't allowed to grow. And that's what I'm saying, is that it stymies your growth if you use one more than the other.
1: Interesting. Well, before I ask my next question, I, I want to remind my listeners about the official sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is tours.com. Championship tennis tours. Since 1987, they've been offering tickets and travel packages to tennis fans all over the world to professional tennis events, whether it be WTA or ATP. They offer tickets and travel packages to the Grand Slams and a lot of the Master Series and uh, Level 1000 tournaments around the world. Definitely check them out if you're going to go watch a professional event and help support them. Uh, and kind of thank them for their support of me and the Essential Tennis Podcast. Both myself and and TennisTours.com will both appreciate that very much. And when you go check out with them, use the promotional code ESSENTIAL with a capital E for a $25 discount off your purchase. And they offer a wide variety of different types of tickets, uh, ranging from... Just ground grounds passes and and kind of cheaper tickets all the way up through luxury suites and, and accommodations uh, that they really offer a wide range of options. So go check them out and show them that you appreciate their support of the Essential Tennis Podcast as much as I do. So thank I thank them very much for their support. Well, um, I, I, I've got another question here uh, that kind of goes back to when we when we first started. Um, you were talking about kind of I guess the uh, you, you, walking in and, and first addressing a, a team that you're working with, you, it sounds like you're making it very clear that you want them, or you're kind of putting the expectation on them that the the point of them playing is to win a championship. And and you're talking about how that's typically very surprising, especially to a team who's used to losing. Now, I, I'm sure that you've probably heard from other coaches, maybe maybe uh, other speakers or. Uh, maybe parents or, or players that, well, you know, <laughs> haven't you heard? It's the 21st century, and and sports and competition are all about having fun, and, and everybody's supposed to go out there and kind of do their best, and as long as uh, they they try and they have fun, then then great, and, and everybody should be happy. What's your uh, what's your response to that kind of mindset?
0: Well, I, I I do believe that sports are there, and we're supposed to have fun and I do know this, that every time that I've won or I've won a championship, I've had a whole lot more fun than <laughs> if I didn't. That's number one. That's number a good two, point. <laughs> number two is is that I'm not just putting someone on an island with these extremely high expectations. I'm giving them the mindset, movement, the motivation tools to make this happen, to help them to grow. And that's the thing that they're missing. See, they... they they focus totally on the emotion side of, oh, gosh, this guy wants us to win championships and we're not that good, whereas they don't have the logic side. Or you can be reversed. A team that's won, let's say, two years in a row, well, they, they can have a, a lot of the, the logic. Well, you know, we've already won two years in a row. Well, we should win again next year. And that's, you know, logic says that. But then they're missing the emotion side because, you know, they, they still have to go out there and perform. And so it's really important. So I give them a tool, and I've uh, put together another adaptability link called the Winning Mental Pyramid. And I've worked on this leading-edge research for five years now, and it shows the relationship between motivation and inspiration, attitude, mindset, mood, and subconscious. And to quickly summarize it, motivation has a relationship with inspiration, and motivation controls your attitude. Your attitude controls your mindset. Your mindset controls your mood, and mood has a relationship with subconscious. And so, in order to put yourself or use this self-talk, self-think appropriately, well, in a team dynamic, the way that I come into teams and, and I explain what the winning mental pyramid research is and I apply it to their team, well, at the beginning of the year, it's applied differently because we want to get the team to gel, to mesh together, to come together, to bond, and and really, really uh, focus in on on a lot of the uh, uh, team aspects as far as the communication, as far as how we're going to handle things, as far as what's going to happen if there's some, obviously, challenges or some conflicts, and and really sets the tone. So, it's almost like as if this is the, the degree in your hand uh, when I was in college, all four years, I just focused on having that degree. And my mind, because I had that in my mind, all I would think about whenever sometimes something would come up, good or bad, was I want that degree in my hand. I want to hold that degree in my hand. And automatically, that would create that logical emotion connection for me. And so we're, we figure out what that is for a team because every team, it's going to be different. You have, let's say you have 10 people on the tennis team, you're going to have a lot of different personalities, a lot of different characteristics of people. you may have different talents, different skills. And so we want to be able to, to learn from that and to grow from that. And what I've found is that the best tennis players, the best teams in the world, when you really know you have a good player is when you really have a player that makes other players, other teammates better. Yeah. And so I use this winning mental pyramid. Now, let's say I come in in the middle of the season. Well, it may be a little bit different, It's especially if the team is losing and I come in. Then I use it differently. But let's say the team's winning and I come in. Well, I'm not going to make a whole lot of adjustments. I mean, the day before or halfway through the season, if you're winning and you're undefeated, I'm not really making a lot of adjustments. What I'm doing there is giving you more incentive and keeping you pumped up to stay on that leading edge so you don't lose lose that momentum as you start going into the playoffs and into the championship run. Now, let's say you are in the playoffs, you're winning, and, and you're about to go into a championship game. You're undefeated, or if you're not undefeated, you're favored to win it all. Well, again, I'm not going to come in there and try to introduce something that's totally new. In fact, I probably won't even, if this team has not ever heard of the Winning Mental Pyramid research. I probably won't even mention it to them, but I will apply it in doing pregame motivation for them before their m- big match. And usually and hopefully they'll win and we'll have a postgame victory celebration. So it's a combination of the two. And so I'm using the winning mental pyramid, but however, in that case, I'm not really telling them what I'm doing, but I'm giving them the pregame mindset, mental motivation, and then the postgame victory celebration.
1: When you come in and, and you first start talking to a team, uh, whether it's a sports team or or a business is, I guess, especially with a a losing team, do you ever find that the players or, or participants have a hard time believing you or or buying into what you're you're talking about i mean you you come in you're talking about winning and getting championships and all this stuff and I guess especially on a losing team it, it seems to me that there might be a tendency for them to not really buy into it and may be uh even actively resist it um Do you ever come across that and uh, if so how do you how do you deal with that with a player who who's kind of fighting against uh having a positive uh mental attitude
0: that's that's a great question and The way that I combat that is through my analysis. I do a lot of upfront work with the coach, and then I learn about each of the players. So when I'm walking in and I'm on the platform in front of them, I'm already telling them things, and they've never even met me, that I know about them. (laughs) And see, that automatically gets them to a comfort level because then they say, well, golly, this guy's really done his research. He's really done his homework. He's really invested in us. Let me perk up here and listen to really what he has to say. And then once they see that I'm not here to basically uh, try to bully them to do better, I'm really there to give them the tools to grow. And it's like anything else. uh, Anything else in the sense that if you're a child, let's say, or even a boy or an adult, and... You've never had a computer, and then all of a sudden somebody's giving you this magnificent tool, and they show you how to use it. And, well, you you become more productive, right? And, sure. And, and 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 you grow, and so that's what I'm doing is I'm giving them that computer, I'm giving them those tools in order to make that happen. And then also the biggest thing that I want them to benefit from because they're going to be together a lot longer than my how how much every time I'm going to be in front of them. So I want to give them the opportunity to work with one another, to know one another, the tools to do that. And by using this leading edge research, the winning mental pyramid, I do that, and I bring them up front, and I'll ask each one of them to tell me about a time that they were in the zone. And probably other players on the team have not even heard this story, because again, most teams... They do a great job of taking advantage of having their coach or coaches, but they don't do a very good job of 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 uh, taking advantage of having teammates and that's to me is what I see the difference between a bad team that goes to a good team, a good team that goes to a very good team, and a very good team that goes to a championship team.
1: Last question for you, Raj, and uh, this is all really interesting stuff, and I'm (laughs) I'm sitting here on the other side of the microphone kind of just trying to uh, absorb as much of this as as I can, and and hopefully I'm asking uh, good questions for for my listeners. Um, I I know that I have many listeners who who are actually coaches, uh, high school coaches and, and team coaches. Obviously, I, I have a lot of listeners who are uh, just players, um, and, and they might be on a team who who needs this information. And, and obviously, I, I'm sure my coaches listening are, are are very interested in actually being able to take this information and and use it and and try to spread these uh, th- these methods th- throughout their own team. So, uh, in our last couple of minutes here, I'd like you to please uh, talk to the coaches and, and talk to the players. Out there, and and to, how can they implement what you're talking about? Is you know, is that is this something that that they can do for their own teams and start to build up the success of their of their own teams as players and coaches, or do we need an expert like you to come in and help us out?
0: They can definitely start to implement it, but they do need someone like me or they do need me to come in and really show them how to apply the research. Now, once I've applied the research, the winning mental pyramid research, I also have another mood tool called winning leadership teamwork chairs that help really resolve conflict and put together strategy. And it's a really, really neat tool where two people, two players, sit back-to-back. Sometimes it can be three, sometimes it can be five, and sometimes it can even be all ten players. We can even do it that way. But notice what I'm doing is I'm taking away the visual because I want them to feel. And I think it's real important to think and feel. And when you do that, then obviously you're in a very good zone. And and that's the kind of leadership teamwork that I want. And everybody has a thought and, and, and an opportunity to participate. But however, once I leave, the coaches are very well versed in actually applying it and what they will do a lot of times apply it on their own because now they've seen how it works. And then they will consult with me, give me a call, and uh, I'll uh, talk with them about a match that's coming up and and give them advice in that way. So it it really depends on the two dynamics. And then, of course, the third dynamic is uh, for a championship type of game or match is uh, bringing me in and let's have a victory party so we can have like... nice celebration afterwards and really celebrate and have a good time and prepare again for next year.
1: All right, good and stuff. Also, go ahead.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Ian. And, and also, you can go to my website. Uh,
1: yeah, please.
0: It's uh, www.rajgavrula, which is just my first name, last name, dot com. And there you can see the winning mental pyramid. There's a couple of articles even that I have where I've uh, written about some of the times that I've used it uh, in working with teams and working with development leagues and working with youth and even in businesses and even in facilitation with people that have, uh, mental health challenges. And, uh, I'd also like to finish off with, uh, with, uh, logical emotion and give you a couple of examples as a boy there were three things that my tennis instructor told me and at the time I really didn't think much about it and they didn't work for me and they didn't work not because they were the wrong message but it was because I didn't understand it I I only used the logic or I only used the emotion one was my tennis instructor would tell me to punch the volley like I was punching (laughs) Okay, And so I would grab my racket and I'd punch, punch. And it would never really have that zip on it that I would see like a McEnroe get or somebody on TV on his volleys. And I, I, I just never knew why. And until later, when I was an adult, I know now why, because it's common sense. It's because I wasn't gripping the racket tight enough. So when I would punch my volleys, I had the naturally soft grip, so therefore I was never able to give that real good. And I, and I was thinking that, okay, well, my fist is clenched and I'm punching in the sense that, you know, I'm making that forward motion. However, I never gripped it tight enough. And now today, that clearly explains why I had such a great drop volley. Mm-hmm. Because just like McEnroe, although he could hit both volleys, I had a great drop volley because I had such soft hands and I could literally take almost all the pace off the ball when it came. But later in my tennis development I realized well that was the reason I was using that same grip as far as the tightness of it in when I was trying to hit a regular hard put away volley. Uh, The other one was uh, to put topspin on the ball the instructor would say, okay, go low to high. So I would go low to high. And then uh, sometimes he'd say, okay, brush on it, brush on it, brush on it. And again, being a boy, uh, I guess it's a different mindset than an adult, uh, I, I just didn't really pick up on what brush meant. I, I could pick up on low to high. But today, now that I know what brush means, I literally, when I see the ball coming, I have my eye on the ball, and I literally brush, as in the sense that I come from low to high, and I literally, with my wrist, flick up, brush upwards on the ball like I'm painting upward. And I have tremendous, much, much more control now. And, of course, because I'm bigger and more balanced, I have more power. And then the last thing was, is uh, losing. And I think we've all been there. Uh, where we've been in a match and we've been losing, and we say, okay, what's going on? What's going on? Well, the first thing we need to do is recognize that losing in the winning mental pyramid is under attitude because you're supposed to be winning, right, in a tennis match? So losing is under attitude. So we got to recognize that attitude. Okay, so now, once we recognize that sense attitude, then we know that, okay, motivation controls attitude. So now we've got to create these synapses in our mind that says, okay, we're supposed to be winning. What's going on? And now we start using logical emotion, self-talk, self-think. Then attitude does what? Attitude controls the mindset. Now we've got to understand, okay, what is the actual thinking process that we need here? What is the tool we need? And lastly... The way that I really improved, and the way a lot of teams really improve, and players really improve, and coaches really improve, is really keep and mark down in the notebook what worked, what didn't work, what surprised you that maybe was an excellent shot that you may not have hit ever, or you may hit only every once in a while. But how could you add that as a permanent part of your weaponry? And, and if you add that to your foundation, then that's another option and tool that when the timing is right, you can really bring that up and uh, make it happen and and include that in your arsenal. And and as you do, then tennis becomes a whole lot more fun. It's no fun to just go out there and just keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We want to keep adding and growing and go to that grow mindset. And that's what really keeps us ahead of the competition because, you know, if you're not adding – skills and talents that someone else is and that's the reason that they're growing and that's the reason that they may win this championship and not you and i'd much rather be in the other position
1: well raj you've gone a couple minutes over time but i know that that my listeners are really going to appreciate uh listening to your insights and your thoughts so i I want to thank you very much for your time today and and spending the time talking to myself and, and, and to the listeners of my podcast as well. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me. And, uh, I, I really, uh, appreciate uh, what you're doing for tennis and for your listeners. They're, they're very fortunate to have you.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I look forward to having you back again in the future. Hopefully I, I get a feeling, I get the feeling that on, on a lot of these topics, we've just kind of scratched the surface and, and introduced them and, and to my listeners definitely go check out Raj's website at rajgavrela.com see the materials that he has there and Raj hopefully I'll be talking to you again soon in the future. Thank you. All right, that does it for episode number 112 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today and my guest. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. And before I wrap things up, I want to send a special thank you out to those of you who have donated to the Essential Tennis podcast in the last week, starting off with Jason in California, who sent a $20 donation. Thank you very much, Jason. David in Alabama did a $5 a month uh, subscription pay, uh, subscription donation. Thank you David, Steve in North Carolina, $5 subscription and Charles in Maryland, also $5 subscription donation. So thank you to you for very much I appreciate it. And Jason in California, I'm going to send you an Essential Tennis shirt since you donated donated the most this past week. Thank you very much. And if Essential Tennis podcast has helped you improve your tennis game, I would really appreciate your support through a small donation, either either monthly or one time. It's, it's totally up to you. And you can do that by going to EssentialTennis.com. And in the lower right, there's a box that says Donate. Just click on that. I thank you guys very much for your support. All right. That does it for this week. Thank you, everybody, very much for joining me. And I look forward to the next episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast next Monday. Take care, everybody, and good luck with your tennis.